Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sheila Shoiget. And welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not. But my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. This week, I speak to Dublin woman, Audrey O'Hagan. So by the time I got in and actually was lying on the machine in the PET scan, I'm now becoming very religious and I am screaming to God and anybody in the universe and anybody else is going to listen to me. And I'm lying there going, OK, please, 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 if you just let this come back clear, I'll just have the hysterectomy. Like the fear now is, is huge. Mm. And I was lying there going, oh, no, I made a deal. I made a deal with God already. And when I was told I needed the hysterectomy in the first place, I prayed then to have, let me just have one child and then I'd have to hysterect me and I'm lying there going oh my god I made a deal already and I didn't upend my, my I didn't keep my end of the bargain so like is this is it like just crazy thoughts go through your head they're yeah. not logical they're not sane they're just panic and it's just I was lying there going oh please 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 like if you just let this come back clear I promise you I will have to hysterect me I won't delay it anymore I'll just tell them I'm gonna have it like no more mess and I'll do it like and I'm just lying down in a complete panic you're on the machine for like half an hour where it goes from your toes right up to your head back down again and it was the longest half hour ever just lying there going please like yeah. please let me be okay Audrey is married to Dave and their son Hugh is almost a year and a half she's in her 30s and works as a communications officer with Dublin Airport a job she absolutely loves and in this episode she lets us in on the past four years of her life that have had their fair share of ups and downs. And even though the conversation is 
deeply emotional and challenging at times, it's also an uplifting listen as well. Here it is. Can we go back to the summer of 2017 and you were pregnant but unfortunately you miscarried yeah so myself and Dave we actually got married in September 2009 and from our first year anniversary in September 2010 September 2010 we started to try for a baby and it wasn't working out we left it we were quite young both of us were very young and we waited probably a bit longer than maybe we should before we went to the doctor and when we did go to the doctor they said look we did all the tests you know everything else and everything was perfect beautiful uh, the doctor said look you're really young everything looks great you've loads of time so don't be stressing over this it could be stress it could be grief my father had passed away uh, not long after my wedding after a short illness so she said it could be stress it could be grief it could be any number of things don't worry about it. So over the course of the years that followed then, we were trying on and off. And um, in the lead up to July 2017, we were actually uh, going through some fertility assessments with the view to, at this point, now we'd waited long enough, we were maybe going to do IVF or IUI, but we were going to get some professional help. Yeah. Um, As part of those assessments, I was sent off for smear tests amongst other tests. Um, Just before we were about to commence the proper fertility treatment uh, we got pregnant and we were absolutely delighted that was the first positive pregnancy test that we had seen and you can imagine I had it all mapped out I had the christening planned I had everything like godparents picked out and everything but unfortunately that was short-lived we only got I think it was around a six-week mark that we lost the pregnancy and I do remember at the time kind of going no surely no like not after all we have been through to get a positive and then to lose it that just yeah it can't be and then, of course, I do know the statistics. I remember the statistics being very, very helpful to me because it just kept saying over in my head, look, one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. And despite what you've been through to get here, statistically, you had a one in four chance of this happening. And it, 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 I mean, I was still devastated, but it helped a little because what yeah. it told me was it doesn't mean it will happen again. And you weren't on your own. And it's a good sign that you got pregnant, like, and yeah. you know, all the rest. But um, to be honest, we never really got much time to grieve that loss because in the same week, my phone started to ring and it was my GP. And I was saying, she's probably just ringing to let me know what I already know, like that I've got, because I'd come back to her for a HCG test. And I said, she's probably just ringing to confirm that we've lost a pregnancy. I already know that. I was really upset. And I said, I'm just not taking her calls. Mm-hmm. And uh, she left a few voicemails on the phone and they were really urgent and I was like oh, God's sake so I rang back and she said I urgently I need you to come in to me I need to see you I was in work at the time so I actually called a taxi I work in Dublin airport so I called a taxi got in the taxi with the view to just going in to let her say what she had to say which I assumed was to tell me that I'd lost a pregnancy and then get my taxi back to work but instead when I got there she told me that she had the results of the smear test and that there was severe abnormalities and they were glandular abnormalities so I didn't really understand this and I was mm. scheduled to go for uh, colposcopy. But because of the pregnancy, I couldn't go for six weeks. So I was now left in this really weird space where you're okay. telling me something really scary might be happening, but we can't find out for sure because we have to allow the pregnancy hormones to completely leave. So there was an awful period there of a few weeks before I was able to actually go and have the next set of tests carried out. Um, and what's going through your mind? I'd say th- those few weeks must have been really scary. They the were not knowing. scary. But when you've spent like seven years focused on having a baby, to be honest with you, all I was concerned about was the delay because people had yeah. said, if you have a miscarriage, you likely get pregnant again really soon. And this was in my head going, try again, try okay. again. We might get pregnant again straight away. And now they were saying, don't, and you'll have to wait six weeks and you'll have to have 
uh, more tests carried out. So for a lot of this, and it's kind of retraining my brain the last four months in particular, haven't, I know we'll get there, but my brain mm. is still thinking about babies, 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 babies. I just want to get back on track and, and start having babies. Like So yeah. the fear definitely was there, but probably not to the extent that it maybe should have been at that point. So anyway, the six weeks rolled around and I went in, it was the end of October or nearly before. I'd had a colposcopy and then I was called for lets. So I went in for the first lets just towards the end of October of that year. And a few weeks later, I was called to say that the it tested positive for, so it's CGIN, so they're a glandular cell. Our screening system is more geared to pick up on squamous cells, which people would recognize yeah, as being yeah. CIN. CGIN is a little bit harder to detect because it's in the glands and it's kind of multifocal. So it's it can be dotted throughout the cervix. Whereas okay. squamous cells, if you just do a let, you'll just laser them all the way. And, and they, if you're lucky and they'll be gone. And for people listening, that's exactly what that procedure is. It's yeah. basically you laser the cells away. You remove those cells exactly, from where yeah. they are. Yeah, and, and you hope that they're just there on the surface and, mm. and that it's that simple that you laser them away, you'll get a clear margin, which is a good indicator that you can go on yeah. with, your, with your life. But mine came back with positive margins and they were glandular cells. So we had to wait another few weeks and go back for a second let. So the second let's took place then in January 2018. And again, I'm a pretty positive person and I was just hoping for the best and that we could get back on track, you know, new year, new me, all that kind of talk. I get you. But sadly, for the second time when the results came back, they came back with um, positive margins. So three of the margins were clear, but the top margin was not clear. It was testing positive again for CGIN. So CGIN can be referred to as adenocarcinoma in situ. So it's a, you're in the precancer zone or stage zero cancer. So there's something there that given time will progress into an invasive cancer. So obviously, if you're failing to respond to LETS, the, the safest thing to do really, and that's what I was told at that point, would be to have a hysterectomy, would be to remove the problem as such before yeah. it had the opportunity to progress and become more serious. Um, now we'd spent, as I said, a long time hoping to have a family and this really upset me like and I was not having any of it like I did not want a hysterectomy. I wanted to explore all other avenues. Um, the doctor that we had at that time, he really wasn't prepared to discuss anything other than hysterectomy. In his eyes, um, this was a problem we had tried twice to clear the problem. It hadn't cleared hysterectomy was all that he was willing to offer me at that point right um, and that wasn't good enough for you obviously. no way not yeah. and especially like we all have Google and Google was telling me that there may be still options now just because you Google options doesn't mean they're suitable for you or in your case or that you know better than the medical experts but I just wanted someone to sit down with me and talk me through them and if they're not suitable for me explain to me why and that wasn't happening the only conversation I was having at that point was this is it this was what we're offering and, and there Nothing was no else. discussion. No, there was no discussion. So my, my, my care was referred then because I wasn't playing ball. And at that point, we're right up to, we've, we've moved up to, I think we're in April 2018 at that point. So I've been in their care now for some time. And I was referred over to the gynecology team at the Matter Hospital, where I was introduced to a professor, Donald Brennan, I remember seeing him actually and thinking, do you see, he can't be much older than, than me. And you're not used to seeing uh, mm. doctors that don't look much older than yourself. And it was lovely to chat to him. And he seemed to have a very different way of thinking. And he worked with me to kind of, his view was that we, we'll measure the risk here, you know. So we're going to keep testing you until we hopefully get a clear test. Oh, by the way, sorry, I should have mentioned, I was tested positive for HPV 16 and 18. So there are two of right. the HPV strains that are linked to 70% of cervical cancers. Mm. 
but your body your immune system can clear this so mm. he was like if we get a clear HPV back it's a really good indicator and we would encourage you to go get pregnant like straight away as soon as you possibly can I mean as soon as your body will allow you to get pregnant uh, go do that like and we'll keep you monitoring we'll monitor you consistently and we'll review the situation at every hands turn but this was really positive this was brilliant completely different from the other oh yeah Yeah. because when the first conversations had taken place obviously it turns your world up on its head and you're actually sitting there going wow are we possibly not going to have the children that we've been thinking and talking about for the last seven years like it's scary you know and you're saying Jesus we'd be one of those couples that like take three months off in this summer and holiday but really all we ever wanted was our own our own children and you're trying to map a new life in your head but it's very hard to reverse back on your main focus for what's been your main focus for so so long Um, when they had talked about a hysterectomy and stuff like that at that time we had looked to explore all avenues including treatment options but also we had looked into surrogacy at that time and that seems crazy when you're just two ordinary average kind of people you're looking into something that's so extraordinary like and so not run of the mill and I remember mm. at the time it was just so overwhelming even we, we actually met with an agency at that time and it was, it was huge you know the thoughts of like I'm never going to carry my own baby I'm never going to feel those kicks I'm never going to have that experience I'm never going to get to pose for my bump photograph I'm never going to have my husband lie in my belly and, and, and hear it move and all that kind of stuff and it was absolutely devastating and I remember coming out of the meeting with the surrogacy agency going Jesus I'll do this if we really, really have to, of course I will. But I hope, I really hope that we don't. Mm. And so when we met Professor Brennan at the Matter Hospital and he was offering a, a bit of hope to us, like that yeah. was fantastic. Of course, the timing of all of this was right slap bang in the middle of the cervical check scandal. Yeah. So we kind of got caught up in that as well. There was huge delays in um, test results coming back. Um, at one point, I had um, smear test done and we were waiting for the results to come back with the view to having a procedure which would uh, be a transdominal cervical cerclage. So that is where they would go in transdominally and they would place a little cerclage which is like a little stitch or a hammock as such to do the job of the cervix. Yeah. They would do that before I ever got pregnant um, because otherwise I would have been at extreme risk of like a preterm delivery, second trimester miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was meant to happen in the October of... 2018 but results went off they went missing there was huge delays it was an absolute nightmare like and it's so funny because they talk about stress I mean you couldn't be more I can't begin to imagine the stress that yeah for everyone involved but yeah the knowing what was happening in the media as well and the scary thing is as well in the media you had all these brilliant brave women coming forward and they were telling their stories but sometimes they would tell their stories and at this point, don't forget, I don't have an all clear. I still don't know what's going on with me. And they're talking about their symptoms and they're saying occasionally I would have had a bit of spotting or I would have had a little bit of back pain or whatever. And I'm like, I've had spotting, I've had back pain. And everything, every time you hear something new, it's a new worry. And all the while you're waiting on your results come back, nobody has actually told you that you're okay yet. So, yeah. and you're still going to work and you're still doing your, your normal things and you're just up to 90 and you're trying to stay off Google and you're trying to stay away from the telly, but it's actually everywhere. Like mm. the news was in every, all over social media you couldn't even in the canteen and workshops all people were talking about it was massive like so it was a hugely stressful time but um, we continued to work anyhow with Professor Brennan's team we managed in November of 2018 to get a clear smear and HPV 
which was the green light for go, go, go. In yeah. a, let's get you as quickly as we can, hopefully on the right track. And um, suddenly everything seemed possible. It seemed very possible that despite the last seven years, I fully believed I was just going to get pregnant now and have my, my baby. I don't know why, but it's like the clouds parted and I was like, the last seven years don't matter. Let's just focus on where we are now. But you're very optimistic as a person. Uh, generally, I, I say to my, I always say like on the third day she rose again. So I'll go down for a couple yeah, of days yeah, and then yeah, yeah. pick myself back up again and start to plan. I love a plan. I love to say, what, yeah. okay, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? Next, you know so so that procedure was carried out then I had that procedure in December 2018 and then it was um, green light go green light go we, we did go and then we, we had a false start because it turned out that I developed something called cervical stenosis so that is because of the repeated surgeries on the cervix you get a web of scar tissue that kind of forms over the entrance yeah. of the cervix so basically nothing is getting in and nothing is getting out <laughs> so your chances of getting pregnant are very very slim mm. while that's there so anyway, my doctors were, I think, as keen to get me pregnant as I was. So um, hmm. we went back in and they scheduled me for another little procedure in February 2019. And that was to dilate the cervix. So clear away the scar tissue, dilate the cervix and go, go, go again. So yeah. that procedure went well. And lo and behold, we were pregnant in April 2019. Wow, that was quick. Yeah, like uh, that was like, I, I don't know why. I just had a feeling that that's how that was going to go. Like yeah. I was like, this is going to work out for us. This is going to be, this is going to be fine. And we got pregnant. Yeah. Then we got phenomenal care. We were with the preterm uh, surveillance unit at the Hollis Street Hospital. Mm. I was in there nearly every week, which was fantastic because the reassurance of getting a little ultrasound scan and seeing things move on a screen week ah, yeah. on week Brilliant. was fantastic. Like, and especially when I used to talk to other people and they'd say they might have only had a scan like at eight weeks and then maybe not one till 20 yeah. weeks or something. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm seeing my baby every single week. Like, um, we found out after the anomaly scan that we were having a little boy mm. and that was brilliant as well. I was, I was unsure whether I wanted to do like a gender reveal as such, but actually it was great to know because then you can start to picture yeah. your life. Like, and you, yeah. you know, you're, you're coming up in, in your head, you're like decorating rooms and um, picturing the clothes and the toys and just your, your life in general. Like, yeah. so uh, we were the same and we found out when we were having our little boy uh, that we were having a boy and we loved it no regrets no no none whatsoever it's great to know. Like, I mean yeah. look it's different for every couple I yeah. suppose but yeah okay, I think I thought I was having a girl I don't know why and then when he was a boy I was like oh okay I must have thought it was a girl because I'm surprised yeah. <laughs> but um, I was delighted to find it because yeah you start planning everything like and you're picking your names and you, mm. you're imagining what he's going to look like and just yeah just being a boy mammy and I was like great so to be fair the pregnancy went really well like we had no problems whatsoever I kept active throughout the whole pregnancy I traipsed that bump around Electric Picnic Class. the bump was brought to Lizzo um, and <laughs> the Spice Girls Brilliant. like I never stopped like and oh, um, even right up until so um so there's a lot of activity in the airport around Christmas like you know all the mm. choirs go up and sing and stuff like that and it was even just brilliant being there for all of that and having everybody was so lovely to me so you were still well. working through Christmas well, I worked right up like I worked Did right you know? up until two weeks before I, I was going to have no I sorry because I had a cervical cyclage I had to have a c-section so I was going to have Hugh at 37 weeks and three days yes so when I say I finished I worked up to the end I actually finished work a little earlier around 34 weeks because my maternity leave was going to start mm, earlier than sure. ordinary so it wasn't 38 weeks prancing around the airport but still like yeah, it was a lovely still. place to be the atmosphere was amazing and just happy just life is 
life is good like finally after all that like life is good and life was good yeah. and, and um, your pregnancy went really well all things considered I had no problems at That's all brilliant. the whole way through I mean oh, look I had sleep nights the odd time I had sure. you know the, the same little things that everybody has but in terms of any major complication none whatsoever like mm. it was beautiful and um, we went in and had him and I still remember to have an um an elective C-section as such. It's funny when they say elective because I personally didn't choose it, but I also knew it was the only way. And the cer- the, yeah. the stitch would stay in there until I'd completed my family. That's as it was explained to me. Like, so the C-section process was amazing. Like we like checked in that morning and they gowned me up and took all my details. And I just remember we were being brought into the little room and everything was so calm. And even right up to the baby being born and Dave was right beside me and the big curtain was there and we were just chit-chatting and the nurses and doctors are chit-chatting along with us and next yeah. thing up he comes he's held up over like Simba like in the Lion King up over the curtain and for a second you're going oh my god that's ours like that's, yeah, that's ours yeah, because yeah. up until now it's on the inside and in your imagination and now it's real and then they took him off and I heard him crying and I was like oh hang on don't ask my baby's crying like and it's it was beautiful and so surreal and yeah they placed him on my chest which was lovely and Dave was there and someone was taking pictures of us from behind and it was all lovely and then they just said oh actually while we have you um, you've a you've a assist here on the right ovary um, well would you like us to remove that for you and I was like yeah okay and they're like, it'll just take an extra few minutes uh, hold on and the doctor that was treating me went out and brought in another doctor and they explained that they were going to remove this cyst from my ovary now the mood in the room didn't change or anything everything was still very celebratory and lovely and I said yeah and sure it was an extra few minutes of getting to lie there and, and mm. hold uh, the baby on my chest so I was like absolutely no problem like so they worked away we continued chatting and laughing and crying and doing all the things that brand new parents do they stitched me up I went to recovery and few days later I was uh, home again and everything was was great I'd say maybe about two weeks later the hospital rang and they said just to give you the results of the cyst that we removed I think at that point I'd actually forgot there ever was a cyst because yeah. it was so minor in the grand grand scheme of things and they said um, it was a 10 centimeter borderline mucinous tumor now when I heard tumor I panicked because you do and I was like well what does that mean and mm. they were like no no it's oh it's okay it's something that we can well, first of all, they were like, look, enjoy your baby bubble. We will see you again in a few weeks time. Um, but it's something that we believe we can either monitor. There's a few options here. So you could perhaps look at having the right ovary removed or we can continue to, because I said, I really want to have more children. Like um, this, or we can continue to monitor the situation through six monthly uh, scans. So I said, well, I think I prefer option B, but, you know, I'll come in to see it. I was supposed to go in and see them towards the end of March of 2020. And I think we all know what happened towards yeah, the end of March 2020. Course. We went into lockdown. lockdown. So that appointment was pushed back. And actually that was okay because we had enough going on anyhow. And I wasn't too worried about it, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, it sounded like they weren't either. No, they were fairly stage, chill. Yeah. In fact, we even got a letter from the hospital uh, kind of um, summarising the conversation that we had had and that they were happy for me to pursue another pregnancy and to undergo okay. surveillance. So we had it in black and white, like go ahead and do what you were intending to do and we'll see you when we see you for the next scan. So that was grand. So we played ball completely. We knew I had a smear and HPV test in June of 2020 and a, 
internal ultrasound scan for cysts and stuff like that mm. in July of 2020. So the first came back all clear, clear for um, any abnormal cells and clear for HPV, which is brilliant. Yes. And then a few weeks later, we got a clear back for no cysts. I was lying there, so I could see it up on the screen. She was able to show me there was no cysts up there on the screen. Everything was great. And in fact, she said to me, are you hoping to have more children? And I said, I am. And she says, well, I can see loads of follicles here, girl. So... Yeah, get, so wow. get cracking. I so. mean, you couldn't have hoped for better news at this point. Oh no, happy out oh, finally, yeah. like everything. That was like all those seven years were like totally worthwhile. Like it, it was I fine. Getcha. I, I didn't mind that we had to go through all that to get to where we were now because life was good. We had our baby and we have the potential here to go ahead and, and have some more. So brilliant. Like we bought a new suite of furniture to celebrate. Strangely, I was mm. like, let's make our house more baby friendly. And we got, because like Hugh at this stage was like, six and a bit months and I was like he'll be moving soon and we'll have another baby here you know they'll be like Irish twins so we actually bought a new suite of furniture which is weird but um yeah. yeah we were we were happy out so we we began to try again not long afterwards kind of from around August and um, we started to try again and we were having some difficulties so I went back to my doctor I but luckily I'm in good contact with them and I was able to email so I was able to mm. email back to my doctor and say can I have an appointment I think we might have an issue around cervical stenosis again because it is possible for that to recur and um, could you check us out so when we went back in I hadn't seen this guy from before I was pregnant and we mm. were having a lovely chat and I just happened to he said, how he says how are things how's the little fella I said he's great how was Christmas Christmas was brilliant and um, we're just chatting um Sorry, not Christmas. What am I talking about? How was the bird? No, no, sure. Yeah, <laughs> how yeah. was the bird? How was yeah, um? Yeah. How did everything go? And I said, oh, it couldn't fault it. It was a lovely experience. The whole pregnancy was lovely. I said, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when they were doing the C-section, they found um, a cyst on the right ovary, but they removed it and it's grand. It's um, they said it was a borderline mucinous tumor, and sure, I've had scans since then, and all good. So he made no fuss. He said, okay, grand. Look, we'll book you in. Uh, we'll try and get you in just before Christmas for to laser away the scar tissue again and to dilate the cervix and do all that kind of stuff. And hopefully now, 2021, we'll see you back on your way. And he gave me a follow-up appointment for the 7th of January, 2021. So I'm happy out with life. Everything yeah. is brilliant. And there's a plan. Oh, I love having a plan. And then yeah. the plan was a good plan, you know, yeah. and we're literally working out. I'm a devil for doing the maths like and going, OK, so if this works and we get pregnant here, I'll have my baby here and it'll be this many months between Hugh and, and the next baby. And like, you really shouldn't do that. But I do do it like and I think a lot of people do. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I'm even picking out matching things like there's always like a, a baby sale on here or there. And I'm like, well, I'll get two of those because it'd be so cute when there's two of them in the same room together and we'll have matching ones and all that kind of stuff like oh yeah there wasn't nothing stopping us now you know everything was brilliant so after I went in for the procedure by the way which went so well I was up and running around the place and back home having my dinner later on on the same afternoon Mm. and everything went great so Christmas was lovely and I was dying to get into the new year because that was only a few days before Christmas was it? I had it on the 21st of December uh, 2020 Um, yeah so brilliant Christmas because I'm on a high now I'm like great the world is our oyster like next year is going to be an amazing year and all the rest so the news was reporting more lockdowns and it was said that there would be level 5 restrictions from January 5th and I remember going oh that's probably going to wreck my appointment my appointment's on January 7th but no no they told me to come on in so I went in to see him he seems as ever he seemed happy to see me um 
and the, the mood was was good. We were chatting again. That's where I'm getting it wrong. Where was how was Christmas? So yeah, we're how sure, was Christmas? Yeah. How was everything? Brilliant. I said thanks for seeing me today. Like I really didn't think appointments were going to go ahead because we were in level five. And he's like, yeah, they're not really um, going ahead except for in exceptional circumstances. And I'm going, right, yeah, what's okay? Mm. He says, right, look, I didn't say it to you at the time, but when you mentioned the borderline mucinous tumor that was removed at your C-section, it raised a red flag for me. Knowing your history as I, I do, I asked, um, I contacted the hospital and I asked for the pathology to be double checked. I'm saying, OK. And he said, and we double checked it and it showed positive for CGIN, for HPV. So for the same uh, adenocarcinoma in situ that you have at your cervix is now showing as present on the cyst that was on your right ovary. I'm like, right, how did that happen? And yeah, because that is um, strange. That's really weird. Like, And I was like, how did that happen? He's like, oh, we don't know because... Um, nothing has indicated to us that you have invasive cancer however invasive cancer travels and pre-cancer doesn't travel so it's really really unusual for us to find that the same pre-cancer that you have at the cervix is now present on the ovary and it is a cause for concern so I'm like okay and I'm doing what I always do and I'm sitting there with I'm going Grant so what do we need to do to get beyond this point, like just give yeah, me the plan. Because you're a pragmatist. What happens next? What so do we do? He was like, okay, well, look, we're going to send you for a CT scan. We'll send you for an MRI scan. Um, we will, depending on the results of that, like we'll, we'll we'll touch base again. And I'm like, okay, so there's options. So I'm like, uh, I only hear what I want to hear. You know what I'm saying to him? Like, okay, great. So we're going to have these scans. Assuming they come back all clear. Maybe there's a little procedure we can do. Like, because in the past, you know, there was these little procedures that we could do. And I'm saying, maybe there's a little something that we can do and you can get us back on the track and we can continue on. And he's like, yeah, let's just see what the what the scans show. So the, the scans were organised. And my, for my follow-up um, meeting with him, they rang and they asked me to bring my husband with me. And I was like, okay, now this is getting weird because whatever about me being called in during level five lockdown, yeah. like it's not good if they were asking my husband to come with me. Like, but I'm going, okay. But at this point we have like nearly a four year relationship with the doctor. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe, like maybe we're just on really good terms. And I like, I just wasn't sure. And you're, you're cl- clutching at straws and you're kind of going. And you're still trying to keep yourself in a very positive headspace, I suppose, are you? Yeah, constantly. Like, and I'm Googling things as well. And I'm like, you always find like, I love finding like the miracle story, like where sure. this person was told this and now look at them now. And like, you know, so I'm doing all of that as yeah. well. But and, that's, my, and that's good too, because we do need to keep, if we can, I mean, it's not always easy and you have to be, you have to honour whatever way you're feeling, but sometimes it's good to fuel yourself on, on, on the the coming out the other side stories. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to be one of them. I yeah. was like, I'm going to come out of this and I'm going to be one of these brilliant stories that's like splashed all over the front page of some magazine and everybody's going to read about it on their lunch break and it's going to be me with my 27 kids defying all the odds. You know, so I'm like, that's, that's what's going to happen. But deep down somewhere in your heart, you do feel a bit sick and you're like, I don't know why they're making me bring Dave with me now. This, this is weird. So Dave did come with me and of course it was weird because he didn't have loads of patients sitting there with their significant others. Mm. Um, I remember the nurse came out right out to greet us and escorted us down to the room and just everything about it was different. Normally your name is just called, you turn around, you see your doctor, you follow them into the room. This all seemed very formal. It seemed right. like a bigger deal. So I was like, oh, okay. So in we go into the room and I think the reason they asked Dave to be there was really for two reasons. And one being, I think they probably hoped he might hear what I just wasn't hearing. Mm. And two, I was going to receive some bad news. So probably going to need somebody to be there with me for that. 
So in that mean then, they were much more solemn, much more grave and a bit meaner. <laughs> like I have to say, they obviously felt the need to really hammer home the situation. And it was brutal, like it was awful. So they said like in the scans, it had shown that there was another five centimetre cyst on the right ovary and a small little cyst on the left ovary. Now, I'd never had cysts before. So they're like, that's a concern because it's a change in your normal behaviour like for you to have these cysts um, they were really emphasising the fact that whatever I had at the cervix hadn't cleared and they were liking it to again they explained like multi skip lesions or like skip levels so if you had a little bit here and then it's a little bit further up so you may get a clear margin but that's actually not a good indicator for me anymore because okay. it's not telling them for sure that it isn't somewhere else higher up and higher up again higher up again so yeah, they were really saying at this point, and I know you've had this conversation before, and I know you heard it three years ago, but we really, really believe that a hysterectomy is the only option for you at this point. And I'm going, no, but you know that I want to have more children. Can we not do, I'd looked up stuff. I was like, can we do a tra trachelectomy? Can we do this? Can we do that? I had like all manner of things. Dr. Google here had printed off like stuff that I found yeah. online and I'm sitting in front of this gynae oncologist telling him what yeah. they could do for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. can we try this? Can we try that? And he was like, no, I don't think so. And he's like, and I don't think you're understanding the significance of the situation. He said, if it, if it transpires that there is invasive cancer here at a microscopic level, then what these tests are showing us is that it's already spread. It's already traveled. And I'm still sitting there going, well, then just take the ovary, like just take the ovary and leave me with the uterus and uh, I can do IVF or something and I can, you know, have a baby this way. And he's like, you're in denial completely. Like I was like, yeah. no. And he said, we can offer you a second opinion. And I was like, I very much would like a second opinion, actually, because, you know, you're not yeah. telling me what it is that I want to hear. Mm. And I think the nurse tried to chime in at some point and she's very, um, She'd like to, they can't in COVID, but I know she would love to like touch your hand or touch your shoulder, but she was being so softly, softly. And I'm just like fuming now and having a bit of a freaker. So I'm like, no, yeah. I'm not having this conversation. Um, there are yeah. options out there. The book doesn't just stop with hysterectomy. There has to be something else that you can do and figure it out. Like, you know, you're the doctors with the big brains. You go off and figure it out. And I'm not having any more of this. And I just want to go home now. But I couldn't just even just go home. Apparently I had to go out and have uh, bloods taken, markers. So even though I was fuming and all I wanted to do was leave and get out, I then had to take off and get my arm out and sit there and let somebody do the bloods. And I was so rude when I think back. I was so angry. I was so rude to everybody. And the doctor was trying to say to me, you know, the nurse was trying to say cough, you know, for the injection. I was like, oh, just do it for God's sake. I was actually mortified by my own behaviour. Ah, look, but I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you I'm sure you well know now that it's probably a very normal response. I'm it's a shock raging. response. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, it could, you know, I'm sure you've had plenty of times when you cried and I know you've spoken about that, but sometimes like that fear and that hurt comes out in an anger. I, I cried that is, day. I did. Yeah, of course. I was starting to cry when they were doing the injections and I didn't want to because I was so angry. I was like, I don't even want to cry here. Like, and as we were leaving the hospital and before we even got to the escalator, I was crying. I feel like crying now. I was crying going down the escalator. And when we got in the car, I was just roaring crying. Sorry, <laughs> it was just so unfair, you know, I was like having to build this up, like up until that point, I was having matching cuts and double boogies and all this kind of stuff. And then they're saying, no, not only are you not going to have that, like, but you might have cancer at the same time. I was raging. I remember going home, I went to my mom's house and just cried there. Sorry. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I'll take a second. I'd like that. 
you'd cry and then my mum would ask a question and I'd try and answer the question and then I'd cry again and then, so you were kind of up and down I know the next day I went to see my own GP and I told her and she was kind of looking at me going I oh, this is well beyond my <laughs> my I was like no no you just need to give me something because I am losing my shit here like yeah, yeah and she, yeah. she prescribed Valium and Danix she's like don't take them at the same time <laughs> but you know because I was really like after losing the plot now and I didn't I was still more concerned about the fertility and the baby side of things but the fear of a cancer was starting to hit home as well well, a little bit like I still wasn't letting that in I was still thinking we had more time I was like even if we knew we could defer this for a year I could try and get pregnant have a baby have a hysterectomy afterwards you know I was still in bargaining mode in my head but the fear was definitely starting to creep in so I couldn't even tell you what date that was on anymore because the next few weeks were just kind of messy and a blur. I know I had, um, they said they were going to send me for a PET scan. I just went, okay, grand, because I'd been sent for so many scans up to now. I was like, no big deal. But in the same week that I was scheduled for the PET scan, actually Lindsay Bennett appeared on Mm. TV and she was after settling a case and she was on the Late Late Show, I think, again on the Friday night and I was listening to everything that she was saying and again listening to all the symptoms and all the things that she was explaining and then she said in her story she mentioned oh and I was sent for PET scan and you know you're in a difficult situation now when you're sent for PET scan because usually that's where they're staging you and I kind of went oh oh I didn't understand that that's what a PET scan was I don't know what I thought a PET scan was it's just another scan that I was going to be sent for I didn't fully comprehend that this was hey, I don't it, think you'd be the only one. Yeah, I just was like, okay, pet scan, grand, no problem. And now I've. And then when you hear get, that, you're yeah. kind of going. So then, of course, shit. I start googling pet scans, and sure enough, there it is: pet scan, cancer, pet scan, All cancer. Right, okay. And I'm like, oh my god! Now it's for other things as well. It is for other things too, but there's, it's intrinsically linked with cancer and the staging of cancer. And I was like, oh right, okay, not good, not good. And I went in for the pet scan then. I was in a different part of the hospital. You had to walk down a little link corridor, go into a separate room, a room I'd never seen before. It's kind of nicer than the rest of the hospital, to be honest with you. And I'm sitting there and there was a young girl in the waiting room. She was in her 20s, beautiful girl. And she had no hair. She was um, she's bald. She had a hat in her head. And I was listening to her give all her details over the counter. And they were asking her about, and she was talking about chemo and radiation. And I remember the fear of God just in me there going, this is not for me. This is like, this is this is not for me. I was like, no, no, no. I, even when they brought you down, you were put into your little booth where you could hear the conversations that were taking place with people in the other booths and I could just hear these other conversations about radiation therapy, chemo, when was your last session? And I was like, oh, here. And you're sitting on a chair where they're putting, um, you have to drink a, a certain drink and all of it just felt like something out of the movies, like something I've seen on TV that definitely wasn't for me you know not for me so by the time I got in and actually was lying on the machine in the PET scan I'm now becoming very religious and I am screaming to God and anybody in the universe and anybody else is going to listen to me and I'm lying there going okay please 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 if you just let this come back clear I'll just have the hysterectomy like the fear now is is huge Mm. and I was lying there going oh no I made a deal I made a deal with God already and when I was told I needed the hysterectomy in the first place I prayed then to have, let me just have one child and then I'd have to hysterectomy and I'm lying there going oh my god I made a deal already and I didn't append my, my I didn't keep my end of the bargain so like is this is it like just crazy thoughts go through your head they're yeah. not logical they're not sane they're just panic and it's just I was lying there going oh please 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 like if you just let this come back clear I promise you I will have the hysterectomy I won't delay it anymore I'll just tell them I'm gonna have it like no more mess and 
I'll do it like and I'm just lying down in a complete panic you're on the machine for like half an hour where it goes from your toes right up to your head back down again and it was the longest half hour ever just lying there going please like yeah. <laughs> please let me be okay then you get off and you make that stupid casual chit chat with the people in the room and I'm a devil for making like stupid jokes and you're just like on the surrealness of it all like sure. from be- praying for your begging for your life to making a silly joke about something it's just so weird and um it's a coping mechanism. It's, it? Yeah, it is. And the horrible thing is you have to do all of this by yourself. So even though I walked into that hospital, OK, by the time I come out, like my face was drowned in tears. You're walking past all these other people that are staring at you, probably wondering what, what's going on, where you're coming from. You're probably worrying them with the state of you. And it's like the longest walk ever to come back out of that hospital and to get back out and down and into the car. Like, and it was just awful. So at that point, I start to say to Dave, I think I am going to have to have the hysterectomy because I'm so afraid now, like I'm, I'm really, really scared. And the day afterwards, a letter came. So this letter was actually based on the meeting I'd had before the PET scan. Yeah, I'd had the PET scan and this is just one paragraph in the letter. It just says, um, I've been very frank with Audrey and explained that if she does have invasive car- adenocarcinoma of the cervix, which has spread to the ovaries, she would likely have an incurable disease. And that the prognosis here would be very guarded. So I read the, I read it and then I had to read it again. And I was like, hold on, hold on. She would likely have an incurable disease and that the prognosis would be very guarded. I was like, incurable disease. I was like, hang on, that's, that's terminal cancer. Like if it's, in, if it's incurable, then it's terminal. If it's terminal, then I'm dying. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, and I was like, no, those words in me just don't make sense. So I'm going to email the nurse. I'm going to email the nurse. And I'm going to ask her just to come just to verify that, that what I'm reading here, that I understand it correctly. So I took a picture of the letter, I copied and pasted it into the email and I said, could you just clarify that incurable disease means terminal cancer? And she just wrote back and she's like, yes, your understanding is correct. And I was like, how the hell did we go from having babies like a few weeks ago to sitting here potentially having terminal cancer? Yeah. How has this happened? And that's what it was. It was such a short time frame. Weeks, like yeah. weeks. Like over the Christmas, we had literally been planning everything we were going to do in the house and boy, girl names, all this, yeah, all yeah. this stuff, like and loving the, 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 the gap that would be between Hugh and his brother or sister. And now I'm reading the thing and I'm just reading it. And then you get so worried because you say, no, that that's not for me. That can't be for me. But you're all over the Internet and all over the media and all over the news are lovely young women. Like cancer doesn't discriminate. It doesn't say I'm not going to get her because she has small babies or I'm not going to get her because, you know, she has no babies or I'm not going to get her because she's 25 or because she's 36 or because she's 42. It doesn't discriminate. And so that horrible, that little voice that gave me comfort back at the miscarriage where it went statistically one in four. Now, all the statistics are are terrifying because they're telling you you're as likely to have this happen to you as anybody else is yeah. like and it's so scary like it, it was so scary and you're googling all sorts like and uh, it, I'm looking at like uh, you're literally just looking up like how much time could I possibly have if this is the case and so I'm trying to understand it myself and so the reason it would have been considered to be a terminal cancer is because it has already spread from one side to the other and that's where it becomes like a stage four and that's where it's considered an incurable disease if if it moves if it, if it, if it shows yeah, up yeah. on another side so I was like I, and then you're getting so angry you're like Jesus should I have ever had the baby at all like have I made massive mistake here and then no I'm like he's absolutely the best thing I've ever done in my entire life sure. so there's no regrets there but you, you begin to question every single decision mm-hmm. that you've made 
all the way along all the conversations you've had you're playing them back over in your head again and you're like didn't he say this didn't she say that should I have asked this should I have you know but really no we did everything right like we we had all the scans we, we got all the test results we waited for everything before we moved ahead so no we haven't done anything wrong and this is really bizarre and that's what my doctor was telling me too he said it's really unusual like still even after the PET scan so they saw they saw FDG avid activity so they saw bold behavior as such like so your the cells will respond to the sugar that's put in during a PET scan and they lit up like the cancer cells will light up like a can- uh, Christmas tree like and there was some activity there at cervix and sure enough there was a little bit of activity at the ovary so there's definitely cells misbehaving on both sites yeah okay. but there are no tumors and they still can't confirm at this point that I have invasive cancer and all my doctor's saying is that we're really worried that it's there at a microscopic level a microscopic level means it's like little grains of sand so it's not going to be picked up on the scan and the only way we'll ever know indefinitely is when we literally remove all of these bits and pieces and have the op- opportunity to biopsy them and then and only then will we know for sure yeah what your situation is and I'm going so does that mean I could potentially be okay and he's like you really have to hope so but I am very concerned by what I'm what I'm seeing here Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option I never really was a salad guy that's just not who I am but Noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, yeah, <laughs> that was really scary. Uh, nobody can be forced into having a procedure that they don't want to have. So even at this point, if I had still said no to a hysterectomy, nobody could have forced me into doing so. But you're really taking your life into your own hands. Yeah. Um, my doctor had kind of said, to be honest with you, I, I don't know if I could guarantee that you'd have a successful pregnancy anyway. Because in order for this thing to travel, it, it, if you think about it logically, it needed to travel up through the uterus and up to the ovary. So there's a good chance that the air, that the environment as such wouldn't be a good environment for an embryo or for okay. a little baby anyway. So, right. it, you know, it may, he, I suppose he was trying to reassure me that a hysterectomy was absolutely the right thing to do and that if I was to say no and take my chances at trying to get pregnant there was no guarantee of a successful pregnancy yeah anyway yeah so yeah I think at some point there I remember going all the shops were closed pennies was closed and I remember going online and um ordering a couple of pairs of pajamas and then I ordered some fresh underwear and stuff and what I was doing was packing a hospital bag because yeah. then I was like you're, you're gonna have to take some control in this horrible situation 
and he, literally there's nothing else that I could do. I had no other control. Like all I could do was buy bits for a hospital bag, which was so horrible because it felt like it was only five minutes ago that we were after doing up the hospital bag to have you. And now we're there going buying yeah. pajamas, socks, all that kind of stuff. So I remember when the nurse rang me anyway, one of the days, she said, it sounds like you're kind of coming around to the idea. And I was like, I don't think I'll ever come around to the idea, but I just know I really want to be alive and alive for a long time. I want to be my son's mother for a long time. My mom needs me, my brother and sisters need me, and Dave needs me. So if this is going to give me a chance, well, then I don't really, it's silly to think that I have any options. I really don't <laughs> have any options. So they... Yeah, we agreed then that we were going to have the procedure. Um, it was scheduled for about four weeks time from the time that I agreed it. And that in a way was good, but in some ways was horrible because it's during those four weeks, you have so much time to think about it and what it actually means. Yeah. And it's just changing your whole life, like forever, like all the things that you were planning. And at this stage, are you getting, are you getting help? Yeah, early on they had suggested, I asked for help actually early on. And it's really lousy because there's no kind of holistic view on all of this. So in some respects, like the doctors are fantastic. But when you want counselling, it's not there. Like it's not part of the matter hospital package as such. Yeah. You have to go find it yourself. And they had said like to ring the Irish Cancer Society. And I remember saying, I feel like an awful idiot now ringing the Irish Cancer Society when you can't even tell me that I have invasive cancer. And I didn't ring it at first. I think I waited up until around the time where we knew we were going to have the hysterectomy. And then I was like, I really, really need help now. Like, mm. um, I remember ringing another number and I got through to somebody who said, oh, geez, I don't know much now. It was a fella. And he said, I don't know much. But would you look up Hister Sisters? It's a forum online. Like, and I was like, is that the extent of the help? So that was brutal. And I did yeah. look up Hister Sisters. And unfortunately, in, in doing so, um, of course, people that do well, that tend to survive things and do well, they just move on with their lives. People that go through something and suffer all manner of complications, they tend to turn online like for support and yeah, for information. Yeah. So it's very one sided sometimes when you go on those forums. Mm. What you're seeing is the bad stuff. And I was terrified. I was nearly more terrified of the treatment than I nearly was of the disease because when they, they I agreed to have the hysterectomy, the next thing is they talk about... Um, all the things that can go wrong. So they they start telling you like all the complications you might have. One in four patients might have, have lymphedema because I had to have a radical hysterectomy. So I had to have the uterus, the ovaries and some lymph nodes. Um, initially, it was thought they would have to remove all of the lymph nodes, but they would try and only remove the senatal, senatal lymph nodes, the main lymph nodes. Yeah. Um, so they said one in four people can have lymphedema. I'm going, what? And lymphedema, that's the swelling. Extreme yeah, swelling. so I was like, what is that? And they're like, well, it's a chronic lifelong condition. There's no cure for it as such. Um, swelling of the legs, a fluid build up. Like, and it can be anything from like visually to look at it. You may not even know that somebody has it, but at the same time, you could see somebody that has a huge a blown up leg or both legs can blow up like it can be debilitating like you I'm thinking of my life going I was not that long ago that I was traipsing around electric picnic and now you're telling me I may end up with a condition that's going to see me not even be able to stand or walk for a prolonged period of time like everything they were saying was so scary there's bladder potential bladder problems bowel problems um, all manner of of different things that could potentially happen as a result also you've surgical menopause now I'm going I, the only thing I knew about menopause up to that point was I knew it existed 
but I mean I remember Samantha from Sex in the City had yeah, menopause yeah. on TV and that's all I knew and sure, I was like yeah. wasn't well, on your radar well no nowhere near my radar and I'm like well what happens there and they're like going through all the various things that can happen as a result of surgical menopause and night sweats and um, hot flashes and mood swings and all sorts of things and I'm like oh here like the more they're telling me the more I'm going oh jeez I don't know whether I just take me chances <laughs> As I, take me chances and see how I get on because this sounds awful like it sounds so bleak and mm. um, this is why I was as you mentioned that I get support I was so glad I did I did get onto the Cancer Society eventually and they put me with a lovely woman who I'm still talking to up to now like and it was great to get a more balanced view and it was actually her that explained to me here when you go onto those forums you're obviously only really seeing one side of things yeah because for the majority of women that go through this and they just are perfect some people have no complications whatsoever not a single issue but what do they do they just get on with their lives and so you never hear about those success stories like you tend to only see a very unbalanced um Mm. account when you, when you go searching online and that's like, a really good point to make though for people listening as well who might be going through something and find that they're going to Google for yeah. help or information because I, I know myself to a lesser extent but I still did it I went on to forums you know when I was going through thyroid cancer to read up and, and you do you're just hearing the horror stories and yeah. naturally that what you've just said there makes complete sense and actually had I heard that back then I think <laughs> it would have given me a lot of relief you know when I was Googling so if you are listening and you are going through anything that you're finding, you're trying to get that information on forums online, you know, be aware that that you're only seeing the extreme of, of the situation. Oh, yeah, definitely. And as she said that to me, like you, I kind of lifted a bit and I was like, that makes that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I was like, yeah, because the happy, successful people with no issues, they're just living life. They're not back on the hysterectomy forum because they don't need to be because yeah. they've just got on with things. Yeah. And they're fine. And I understand that people go on those forums for like a support. And even if they're having particular course, symptoms, yeah. you might want to see if somebody else has been through the same. But there's a good chance you can come through all of this and just get live your live your life in, in the best possible way and not suffer all these complications. And so that was actually really good to hear. And as she said, yeah, one in four will possibly have lymphedema. But that means 75% of people, if you flip the statistic, won't. And yeah. so you have a 75% of not having it. It just sounds, one in four sounds like, Jesus. And then you say 75% won't have it. And you're like, okay. So she did a really great job of like kind of reframing a lot great. of the talk around the whole thing and the statistics. Um, if I had had all the lymph nodes removed, I would have had a 30% chance of having that lymphedema. If I only had three lymph nodes removed, I only have a 3% chance of having lymphedema. Like she was really good at and really well informed. And she started to give me little nuggets because that's why I said, I, I can't hear any more negative stuff. I understand we're in a litigious environment and the hospitals feel that they need to advise you of all of the things that could potentially go wrong but I was full up of yeah, yeah. that stuff and I just needed somebody to start spinning things for me in a different way mm. and you know give me some of the positive stuff and they were they were really really helpful little things to take to take away yes. and that's where I love the likes of Instagram actually because that's where you can see people who are hashtag living their best lives after coming through all of this you, you, you tend to find it there because it's where humans go on to tell their story and to, you know that, that was very helpful yeah. for me like to see people coming out and doing well but yeah it is it is hard you really have to go looking for the positives whereas the negatives always seem a little bit easier to find they kind of find you whereas you have to go looking for the, the good stuff but, I know um, you've connected to some people as well through Instagram who have been a huge support to mm-hmm. you as well who have gone through very similar um, experiences to you. I know you've mentioned a woman called Kim and then somebody else who a lot of us are probably aware of. She goes by the name um, 
two peas, uh, not my pod. Yeah, she's Nadia. Nadia, uh, an angel, an angel. I don't know how much she's worth now in consultancy fees at this stage. <laughs> if she invoices me, <laughs> I'm going to have to remortgage the house. But um, she's a beautiful girl. I actually connected with Nadia back in 2018 when we thought we were going to have to have a hysterectomy back then. And I found her just through, through Googling. Yeah. And at that point, of course, I told you I was thinking of surrogacy. So we made contact with her because she'd done it. Like she had done it. She'd been through it. She had, she's t- identical twin boys from surrogacy. So she's an angel because I stalked that girl. I stalked that girl from back then. I stalked her for a time. Then I let her go for a few years and then I picked her back up again in January of this year. And she's never not responded to a message. She's never left me hanging. Mm. You know, she is brilliant. It's Do you know what? Of all the episodes, I think that Georgie Crawford has recorded on The Good Glow, it's one of my favourites, the episode she did with with Nadia, because it is it's it's one of those, as you spoke about earlier, you're looking for those miracle stories. It's it's, her story is is the stuff of miracles. Yeah, yeah. it is when you hear about how the boys came about and everything. It really is amazing. So that's that's fabulous. She was such a support to you. Brilliant. Like and even even now, she's still a support to me, just in a different way. But throughout it, she was talking to me about even getting a bit fitter for surgery um, because I was a devil for now just comfort eating and hibernating and she was saying you need to get out you need to walk you need to strengthen your legs you need to make sure you get your iron levels up she's giving me this really practical advice on how to best recover from this procedure like stuff I nearly wasn't even getting in the hospital like you know they were just telling me what was going to happen but she was kind of giving me all these tips and skills on how to best prepare myself for the surgery even for my stay in the hospital she was saying things to me like bright pack bright clothes you know uh, anything that will kind of lift your spirits like yeah. uh, give yourself a little project for while you're in there and you know whether it's writing whether it's uh, like me I love to plan so whether it's coming up with what your plans are for the next six months literally get in there and, and be doing something but she was just outstanding and, and and I was asking her so many questions in and around menopause and stuff like that as well she was she was like oh, Audrey I don't have any I'm fine like she's like and I was like really are you really fine though like did anything happen to you at all because I think I always just linked hormones to moods and I was terrified of like turning into some kind of screaming lunatic and I was going to her did, did anything happen and she's like not, not I'm fine absolutely fine she's like I get up every day I you know I do I live life I look after the boys I you know do stuff with George that's her husband and she's like and every day Day is just a normal day just like countless other families across the country she's yeah. like I am completely fine it hasn't affected me in any way negatively like whatsoever and I'm going that's what I needed to hear oh, I was like, that must have been just uh, like yeah what a gift she yeah, was to you to I find suppose. somebody yeah. that's that's mm. out the other side just getting on with things and I was like I can't wait till the biggest thing I have to worry about is forgetting to put the wheelie bin out like or something <laughs> yeah. just normal and so I yeah. started to think more positively again and I was like okay I'm going to do everything she says. So I was doing my 10,000 steps a day and I was in all these step challenges. Like some days we were doing 20,000 steps a day. Like I was like getting the legs working. I'm going to improve the diet, get the vitamins in. And and so the four weeks was an up and down experience because at times I was terrified. At times I was sick. At times I was worried and angry. At other times I felt massively positive and like, I don't know. I felt like, yeah, there's definitely life after this. Like we just have to, this is something I just have to go through for some reason. And then I'm going to come out the other side and there's a bit, please got another 50 years ahead of me and yeah do you know like and so she was brilliant for for all of that like so let's bring us up to april yeah which is only it's not even two months ago since no, you had it's not even eight weeks yet, yeah like, so yeah i in the in as, as positive as i was in the two or three days before the procedure i was a nervous wreck i was so yeah. afraid and i was also really really terrified of the unknown of what they were 
going to find when they opened me up. I'd made friends with another girl online and I was actually a little bit jealous of her because she was getting the opportunity to have the trachelectomy. And I'm jealous of this girl and I'm going, the okay. trachelectomy meant that she would still be able to carry her own children mm-hmm. going forward. And they went to do her procedure and when they biopsied, she had advanced stage three cancer. And it was there at a microscopic level. And I'm getting this news at the same time that I'm about to go in for mine oh, and going, Jesus, OK, okay whereas so I was actually getting really, really terrified now yeah, in, in yeah, the in yeah. the days before. And I was getting very upset and I really never completely made peace with the procedure. I just knew that it was something that I had to do. In order to give myself a chance at having a future. Yeah, I didn't want it. I never wanted it. I never it was never elective from my perspective, but um. It was something that had to happen. Like I was really, really emotional and so tired. I remember being more tired than I had ever been in the two days before. My arms, my legs were tired. Like my whole body was just exhausted. And I don't know if it's from carrying the worry or, yeah, or what. Yeah, like absolutely. But I was absolutely the impact of stress wrecked. And then yeah, you're trying to be like um, a good mammy at the same time, and you know, a good fun for your child. And also, I was packing up like as if Dave couldn't do this, but I was packing up. You know, for for this day, there's his pajamas, his vests, his socks, his here's yeah. a set of clothes, here's a change of clothes in case he needs it. And I'm laying everything out. And Dave's brother was going to come up and stay for the few days while I was away, even though my mom's only across the road. But it was for him. He's also up the walls. Don't forget, like yeah, with all of, of this. So just to give him a bit of support there. Um, I remember crying a lot like in the days beforehand and any number of people offered me to bring me into the hospital on the day but I said no and the reason I said no was I didn't want to be a blubbering mess and I said I know if if my brother or if my friend brings me in they can only take me as far as the the street and then they're going to have to turf me out like and I'm going to have to walk in there on my own they're going to get emotional I'm going to get emotional so I was like no do you know I'm going to get a taxi in so I had my bags packed up, woke the whole house up to say goodbye to me, posed for photographs. What do we, we live in such an Instagrammable life, but like I'm about to go in and have this procedure and I'm doing big, huge smiles and posing for pictures before I leave the house. Don't ask me what goes through my head, but we did that anyway. Yeah. And I'm there making jokes, doing boomerangs in the mirror going, last day with a uterus. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Like, it's so strange. But again, it's a, it's cope, it's a coping it's like, mechanism, isn't it? Yeah, it's like dark humour, I guess. But totally. I was like... Bye bye. <laughs> All this kind of stuff, yeah, weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, got the taxi. It was fine in taxi because obviously didn't talk to the taxi driver at all. Got to the doors and it's a long walk up to the matter anyway. Got out, got my two little suitcases out, like because I was supposed to be in there for five to seven days. I was told. So. um by the time I even got in the door and then I realised I'm looking at all the signs and I don't know where I'm going and as soon as I got flustered and didn't know where to go I just started crying and I'm so grateful for the masks actually I was so glad to have a mask on because my face just started streaming and there was no stopping it once I started to cry I never stopped crying it was so awkward for everybody involved and I actually mean that because I'm crying. I'm asking someone for directions. People are trying to help you, but they've also got their own jobs to do or their own things that they were doing before they came across you. So everybody's trying to be nice, but I'm mindful of the fact that these people are busy and it's like they're really busy. They're nurses, they're doctors, they're they're porters, like they've got stuff to do, you know. Um, I remember getting down to the ward. I managed to not cry for a second to check myself in. They brought me around to a little bed. And just told me to sit there. So I'm just kind of sitting there with my suitcase beside me. I felt like a child going to boarding school or something. Like I was so, I didn't feel like a grown woman or like an adult. I actually just felt like a, like a child. Yeah. I really did. And I remember just sitting there, just watching everything that was going on around me. And then someone came over. were scared. And they were terrified. And they said, um, hi, Audrey, um, just to confirm your details, whatever. I started crying. They were like, okay. 
but I said you're just going to have to keep going because I'm I'm just not going to stop crying so yeah. they did and this whole thing and gone through it all then the team of doctors came around and they're talking me through the procedure and my brain is like I'm hearing their words this is there's so many levels of things going on in your head I can hear them and they're saying we're going to start off um, with a keyhole surgery and we're going to do this and at the same time my brain is like getting upset I'm like I'm going to cry now don't cry don't cry in front of the people and then I'm like you should be paying attention pay attention to what they're saying because what they're saying could be really important you know and you're like, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. Say, what, what did you say again? And they're like, that's okay. We're just saying blah, blah, blah. And my brain would be gone. I could not hold focus yeah. for any more than a couple of seconds. It was like a million things going through my head. Yeah, and even as I was sitting there, I was still going, I wonder is it too late to back out? I wonder if somebody else, I was half hoping a knight in shining armour was going to come in and say, we've pulled up your last file and actually we can do something different. I think right up until, right up until I was gowned up, I was still thinking, Somebody, I'd read a story of the doctor who was going to do my procedure. He had done another woman's procedure. And on the day that she went in, he'd come up with an alternative. And so oh, I kept sitting right, there going, okay. any minute now, he's going to come in and he's going to say he's spoken to somebody in China and they're saying that I can do this. And I was so, I was literally holding on to it right up until the end. So I went in, I put the gown on, I had um, the stupid socks on and I'm like... The, the longer it's going on the less likely the miracle night and shine armor is going to appear you know mm. but I'm still there going okay and then a porter came down and I was like oh shit like that he's down here to wheel me to theatre like there's nobody coming but maybe so I cried on the trolley I cried in the lift I cried when we went up to the room where we met the the people that were going to do the anaesthetic so I had to have an epidural and even as they're talking to me through the epidural one of the doctors was too going to do my surgery. One of them came in and for a horrible moment, I was like, like, have you? Oh. It's so, so annoying that I do this. But I was like, yeah. have you come up with anything else? And he's like, oh no, love, I'm, I just, I'm just here to get you to sign your consent on this. And I was like, oh, I really, really, really think I thought right up until the last second that somebody was going to come in and that he would have figured something out. Anyway, they didn't. I had to sign and agree to all the different things that they were going to do. They took my appendix. He was like, we're going to take your appendix. I was like, why is there something wrong with that too? And he's like, no, but you don't need it. And it's in the way. And sure, we're in there anyway. Kind of made me laugh. He was like, (laughs) because I was like, did you just discover there's something wrong with my appendix? And he's like, no, no. (laughs) So I was like, oh, Okay, then that's a bit of a letdown. I was kind of hoping you were coming in. <laughs> You're just taking my appendix now. <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. So then they had to do the epidural. Uh, you know, if anyone, anyone that's ever had an epidural will know, if you don't know, like you have to literally hunch forward, like bend forward and not move. And like, you think it's easy to not move, but it's, it's actually harder than you might think. Like, and they're saying, they stay perfectly still. And especially while you're crying, it's very oh, yeah. hard. So I just was bent over, like just, head down I remember somebody was being really nice and I don't normally like touchy-feely but someone held my hands and I don't know who it was because I just kept my head down and cried but it was a nice thing for them to do actually yeah then they lie you back on the bed and I'm still like I just remember tears rolling down my face I remember just saying to the guy I'm knocked out for this procedure am I and he's like oh yes you are like as well as the epidural yeah you won't you won't be I was like can you just do that bit now because I'm just going to keep crying yeah. If I yeah. don't need to be awake anymore, then he's like, he just said no problem. <laughs> and he took the little mask and he got me to count down from 10. And yeah, that was it. And then I, the next thing was when I woke up 
and that was horrible as well actually this was like the worst day ever <laughs> I remember just waking up with such a panic I cared I remember being asleep and then suddenly I was fully awake and I leapt up and I pulled the tube out of my throat I was pulling the tube out of my throat and I could hear everybody rushing around the girl was trying to take my hand off the tube I can't tell you why I did that I did it because I wasn't in my right mind I remember so she she did it and then I had excruciating pain I remember actually screaming I was like the pain it felt like I was on fire like I could feel fire across my hips this my left side and an awful pain in my shoulder and I was like I'm in pain and she's like 1 to 10 I was like 10 20 like loads of pain and then very quickly everything calmed down she obviously put something into the drip a painkiller of some sort the pain subsided I started to calm down a little bit and then I, then as soon as you calm down you get so embarrassed because I was like god I'm so sorry about that I was so conscious of the panic I had just created and the scene I had just caused and you're, I was in this very trippy kind of place where I was embarrassed about my behaviour but I wasn't with it enough to stop (laughs) stop doing what I was doing and I knew I just kept saying silly things and I kept saying to her did it go well was it okay did they find anything was there anything in there and of course they can't really tell you they're like yeah I think your surgery went well and the doctor will see you later and I was like but like did they find anything was there I just kept repeating myself because I wasn't I wasn't with it like um I don't know how long I was down there for but I know when they brought me back up to the ward um I just kept asking for my phone because I'm, I'm addicted to my phone and I don't know how many hours had gone by and I didn't want to ring anyone, only Dave, just to say I'm okay, like yeah. everything is all right. Um, I've asked for the phone about a hundred times. Of course, they've got the busier things to be doing than go off and get me my phone. But I know it was like after six o'clock in the evening by the time I got my phone and I'd gone in for surgery at about eight o'clock and it was such a weird trippy day okay. that I was like my phone was going crazy with messages and I, I couldn't see it properly all I was able to do was do one little message to Dave just to be like I'm okay and he actually texts me with more information I couldn't read it though but the doctors had read him rang him after surgery just to say that it had gone well I was actually really lucky in that initially my surgery was meant to be trans or not trans um, abdominal surgery so it was meant to be for my belly button right down but they were able to do it through some keyhole incisions and my c-section so they were okay. able to reopen the c-section and do three keyholes on the stomach that was huge because it meant my recovery would be better and the other little bit of good news was that they were able to identify those key lymph nodes so they only had to take three so that okay. was brilliant because they were the only two things we knew at that point like that um I didn't have to have the extreme surgery that would have put me on the high dependency unit and I didn't lose all the lymph nodes I only yeah. had to lose three lymph nodes so that was good stuff um I remember seeing the doctor that night but not really yeah, I know yeah. he spoke to me around eight o'clock and it's all really hazy yeah I suppose you were on a, such a cocktail of drugs so yeah. while you're going through the recovery process for the days that followed and then obviously the subsequent uh, two weeks that's the wait for the results yeah that was really scary because I, I did well I re- physically I was recovering very well um I mean, I mean, I was in pain and stuff like that, like, but it would be very similar to the type of pain a woman would have to after a C-section. It was kind of like that. Like, so I was doing well. I was I was mobile. And so I was trying to just focus on those key physical milestones, you know, walking a little bit further with each day that went by or just just getting up and having a shower and getting dressed and playing in the garden with Hugh. But you can't play properly because you can't lift him up. And then I'd get yeah. a little bit upset again. And, you know, so it was very emotional a few days but of course yeah there's the big weight on the on the results now 
we got some preliminary results two weeks after the surgery but they weren't the full results we had to wait because of everything that was going on and they had sent my pathology away I think I had to wait another two weeks before I actually got to see my doctor and go through it all so it was actually four weeks yeah. before we got to go back in and and see it all and yeah during those few weeks you're everywhere and I'm still friends with like that girl that was diagnosed with stage three and I'm seeing her she's starting her chemo in my phone and I'm like Jesus is that is that the next step that, for me that's what's ahead of me like yeah. and it was so scary um, and I can't even tell you and with regard to the fertility side of things for the first time in all of the years it actually wasn't the biggest thing that I was thinking about anymore yeah, yeah. you're kind of it's very different like you're kind of taking stock of what you have and how lucky you are and I have my home and I have my husband and I have my my little boy and you're kind of going for the first time I think in, in, in a long long time I'm more concerned about just being well and, and being around yeah yeah and Yes, of course, it's massively upsetting, but it wasn't the overriding thought process. Like for, for so long, that was the big thing. That was the most upsetting thing. And now it's just like, just please let me be okay. Please give me more time on this planet. Like, please let me be around for all of these people. So, yeah, and it is crazy. I often think it's so crazy. All the things that are going on in your head and your heart and your your stomach and your you're washing dishes or you're like you know just do normal mundane things you're going out to pick up a carton of milk and in your brain you're like I really hope I'm okay I, ho- I hope I don't have to have chemo I hope I don't have to have radiation and you're like yeah just a, a half a half loaf please and you're like it's so yeah. bizarre like sometimes it's so surreal yeah. and you just it always makes me think you have no idea what's going on with anybody because you no think idea. of all the people that you encounter every single day yeah. you just don't know what's going on absolutely be- behind really behind the eyes like so so that was the, probably the longest four weeks of your life. Mm. It was. But huge. tell us about the results, because at okay. least at the end of, of, I mean, and I know you've only just kind of distilled the past few years down, but at least there was light at the end of this pretty grim tunnel. OK, <laughs> so we did get to go in and, and, and meet the, the doctor again. And the nurse was there and Dave was with me as well. And they were able to tell me that... Um, where do you even begin I nearly wish I had it in front of me now to read to you but they were able to say that there was extensive adenocarcinoma at the cervix um, in the uterus the the lining and in the right ovary bizarrely it wasn't in the fallopian tube and you would have thought that it should be because that's an actual route that it would take they're still a little bit unclear on, on how this all came about because apparently there's only 20 to 25 similar cases um, for them to kind of measure it against. Okay. The closest thing they have said is that it was like a skip lesion adenocarcinoma. So basically it was just dotted randomly right up to the cervix, the uterus, the lining and bam up into the ovary. Now it's a blessing that it went to the ovary and never went into the fallopian tube because that would have moved it into the, the blood supply. Okay. Right. Which would have been more, more serious. Yes, of course. Uh, the lymph nodes were all clear. So yes. there was no. Fantastic. And I do not require any further inter- treatment and I do not have invasive <laughs> cancer after wow. all that. So no need for chemo, no, chemo. no need for radiation wow. therapy, no need for anything else. Um, no invasive cancer. Uh, bizarre very bizarre case and they're going to do a paper on me um okay yeah really? they're, they're going to do a, a research paper on me and yeah like they're they're as puzzled but obviously very delighted sure. with the outcome please got to be here and here for a long time yeah sounds like you will which uh, is amazing to come 
but yeah so that was that was very emotional and it was oh. like an x-factor um yeah. drum roll and i'm trying to yeah. understand because you know i've misunderstood in the past so i'm sitting there going okay so does that mean does that mean i'm fine then does that mean i'm okay like does that mean i'm i'm all good i'm clear i'm i'm here for the long run and they were like well we we hope so yeah, yeah. absolutely like oh. so yay <laughs> oh well you know what after everything i'm obviously so happy for oh, you stop for you all yeah but it still doesn't take away from the fact that you've gone through this life altering yeah surgery and I say life altering in, in every way because of the impact of it emotionally for you what it means mm. now we're going to go back a little bit because I do know that you decided to uh, do fertility preservation yeah sorry I'm conscious I didn't mention that earlier so when we were told in 2018 early 2018 that we were going to need a hysterectomy then it was suggested to us at that time that it would be wise to preserve fertility we were like well what what does that mean yeah and the idea would be that you would uh, do a round of IVF uh, retrieve some eggs and and obviously myself and, and Dave being married it's always better you have a better chance with embryos than you do with eggs so the idea being to create embryos so we did that back then and thankfully I'm so glad that we, yes. we did because wow. it was something that we didn't need to worry about now Yeah, and it, it gives us a little bit of well you know there's still options out there for us like I won't be able to carry a baby myself but that's not to say that we can't have a brother or a sister for Hugh like yes. we live in a world where anything seems to be possible and you know through the power of surrogacy it may still be possible for us to actually add to our family and to give Hugh a brother or sister so the other weird thing is because we touched on that three years ago we're back in the arena now and it's not as scary now it's definitely not as scary for me now well, I suppose there's a couple of things one I don't have a foot and boat camps now there are no other options whereas I think three years ago I was definitely still hoping that I might yeah. be able to do it myself and so I didn't really want to give in to surrogacy when I thought there might be a chance that I could carry a baby now it's it's, it's really lousy but that's gone so there is only the one option and that is surrogacy mm. uh, if we wish to have a biological sibling for for Hugh. So it's not as scary to me now as it was three years ago. And also, I suppose, even through the media, I've seen so many more people have gone on to have wonderful success stories through surrogacy. Absolutely. So, We're hearing more and more about you know, it all the time. Yeah, the, the awareness yeah. is there and the understanding is there. And I always think it's wonderful. Like, well, it was always a blessing that I met Nadia. I really believe that she was sent to me at some point like yeah. a little angel. But um, it's so lovely to know someone in in real life who has done it who's living the dream who has her twin boys there like and I'm going well that could that could be me if it's her it could be me you know I'm in every other sense okay I've come out of the surgery I'm fine I have no bladder problems I have no bowel problems I have none of those other things that they said we're regarding uh, surgical menopause uh, they prescribed a HRT little patch it's just it's so tiny it's like the size of a postage stamp yeah. I've had nothing no night sweats no nothing you wouldn't even know so that brilliant. anything had happened so that like, transition has just been really smooth. seamless completely seamless because Great. I had it within two days of the procedure I had the little patch on me now I'm taking all my vitamins and I'm starting to pay more attention to what I eat and how I move and all that kind of stuff but nothing like it has actually been pretty seamless now I'm only eight weeks in so I don't know what the future holds but I can only tell you in the last seven to eight weeks I haven't had any problems whatsoever I'm probably paying more attention to my health now than I ever did okay, before yeah, so like I'm getting the vitamins in I'm kind of looking a little bit more what I'm eating I'm trying to move a little bit more oh I'm doing an Xwell program which was something that was I was referred to um, actually through the hospital so Xwell was a program for 18 to 39 year olds 
uh, women with cancer. I don't know if it's just women actually, but anyway, in my case, obviously being a woman. Yeah. And um, it was for prehab and rehab. So before the surgery, they helped you. They did all these assessments to kind of figure out where you were uh, fitness wise, health wise, which for me now, I'll be honest, like not great, like beyond walking. I wouldn't be one for the gym. I wouldn't be one for exercise. Diet wise, yeah, definitely one or two takeaways a week, like easily and sweets and not a devil for the sweets. Like I'm a comfort eater. Yeah, or, yeah. Or what's he say? I eat my feelings and I have a lot of feelings. Like, so yeah, yeah. I'm kind of constantly. You're not the only one. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's first time now I'm a bit more mindful. And to do it now, it's not normally if I ever did a, a diet or if I looked at my diet, it would be to get into a dress for a wedding or a holiday or something like that. It's not about that now. It's no, like, it's, it's definitely a massive wake up call. And it's like, it's okay, let's just get yourself fighting fit. Like, I, I'd love to be here in 50 years time. Yeah. You know, t- with a children and grandchildren and all the rest. Like, so you're kind of going yeah no now it's different the motivation behind it is different like and it seems to be clicking better yeah. I think you're because your reasons are probably a, a bit better like it's clicking better like but um, I'm doing my Expel program I did it this morning I was sweating like they had me doing all sorts of exercises that I just haven't done in about 10 years like but um, it's good it's good to do it like yeah, great. Um, looking at the diet is good like and I'm not going to be on a diet don't get me wrong I'm still going to have my sweets and my yard sure. takeaway like but it's definitely a more balanced way of looking at kind it. of approach yeah. and yeah like so that if we do and I think we will go down the road of surrogacy you did say it there you said children yeah so, this is so, it, you, like. so you see it do you visualise it Oh, 100% I do. I yeah. have the whole... I'm, there I go for planning. So I'm already saying to Dave, if we if we do pursue it, it looks as if we may pursue it in America okay. because they're really set up for commercial surrogacy over there. And I'm already said to him, tell you what we do, Dave. Now we go over and I wouldn't leave Hugh behind. So we'll have to bring him with us and we might get your brother because he'll be in Canada. We'll get him to fly across to us maybe for a week <laughs> and uh, he could help out and like he could maybe mind Hugh on the day or uh, and the next day, you know, give us a bit of a dig out and then he can go back and do whatever he's doing. We could hang on there for a few weeks like <laughs> literally like this is what I've always done and yeah at times I used to kick myself for, for doing this but it's me I'm not going to change now and so yeah already I'm going I have the plan here's, here's how it's all going to work and well look you visualised having having Hugh yeah and that happened you went on to have your baby boy mm. uh, you feel like you're going to have children you have these embryos so yeah in a way what's stopping you well, just I know it's a huge this, chunk of change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah serious amount of cash. But apart from the huge chunk of cash <laughs> that we're going to need, that's uh, literally at the moment. That's yeah. the only thing that's um, we're just yeah. having to work on. That, that is a big thing. Let's be honest. Ah, look, it's huge. You may need to move a few bits and pieces around and sell the odd limb or organ, but your luck. <laughs> 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 we'll manage. Uh, I don't know. We are looking into all of it at the moment, like, and it definitely is feeling better it, feels, it sits better with me now than it did then and maybe it's because other options have been literally taken away this is the option so I don't know it feels good it feels right and it's great that I have seen and heard so much more there's been so much more talk around it like and I, I know people like I know people in the real world that have done it and yeah you know come out the other side and so that that makes it feel more attainable like you're not just looking at Kim Kanye West and you know like you're kind of yes, going yes. no it's real people real, real people, people yeah. that could live on my road or be around the corner they've done it and if they can do it we can do it so do you know oh you're brilliant yeah. <laughs> you are brilliant I mean I, I, I got that feeling from you that you were extremely optimistic as a person but it's important to be as well like and we're all entitled to have shit days and feel like this is this is crap and it's not always sunshine and flowers for anyone, mm. but you have been challenged massively 
and to be positive at the beginning of it, but still have that sense of optimism now is wonderful. And I'm just so thrilled for you that you got that brilliant news after everything you've been through. So now really it's just it's continued recovery because it's still relatively yeah, short yeah. time. It's not even the two months since the oh. the operation. So you're you're doing great. So just continue to heal, get better, mind yourself and then yeah. See planning. what the future holds, yeah. See what the future holds. That's it. Like but I mean I so lucky to have a future. This is the thing. Like regard everything that I went through, don't get me wrong, there was times when it was pretty shit. But I'm lucky. I'm here. I have all this potential like you know yes, I am do. definitely one of the lucky ones that gets to come out and tell this story so I didn't get to be on the front page of the magazine with the 27 kids but <laughs> you know I don't know that I won't end up on the front of a magazine going dear here, exactly. here's what happened to me and here's where I am now like so like yeah I definitely am despite it all absolutely one of the lucky ones well I know you're inspiring a lot of people because the reason that we are sitting here having this chat today is that I asked my followers on Instagram who they would ah. suggest that I reach out to and talk to and your name came up a lot. Okay. Yeah. So you have a lot of fans and actually for those listening who maybe so far have not followed you, can you give your Instagram handle so that they can now click and make sure that they don't miss a thing? Yeah, click and then take a week off work because <laughs> I have the whole story in my highlights. It took me a week to tell the story. So uh, it's Aud3000. So it's A-U-D-G-E 3000. And yeah, you'll see my story one right through to the results. But uh, I would actually take a few days off because there's a lot in there. <laughs> yeah, fair play to you. And that wasn't easy to do, but um, I think you give you know obviously in this conversation people get a really good sense of it but you go in much bigger detail in your your insta story so they're in your highlights reel uh audrey thank you so much i'm excited for you for the for the thank years you. to come and uh hopefully we might sit here and have a chat again in the future when baby number two is in Imagine the world now, wouldn't that wouldn't be, that be the, lovely wouldn't that be the business yeah yeah That'd be great. Well, keep doing your thing and uh, you're inspiring a lot of people by being so honest on Instagram as well. So make sure you follow her if you don't already and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Audrey, thanks a million. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for reaching out to me and giving me this opportunity to, to tell the story. So thank you. I'm delighted to have you. Thanks. If you're concerned about any health issue or if you haven't had a checkup in a while, perhaps listening to Audrey will encourage you to call your GP or make that appointment you've been putting off or to reach out and ask for help if you're struggling. It really is so important to look after ourselves. And if you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a rating or a little comment on Apple or by clicking follow on Spotify. I'd be so thankful. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real Conversation. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.